Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom. It's a very special episode. We have the comic great James Mateus on board. JM, how are you? I am doing great. How are you guys doing? We're fantastic. It's it's fantastic. it's it's there's a storm cell movie across Sydney, Australia at the moment, like you wouldn't believe, JM. It's like that movie Perfect Storm. It's crazy. What 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 kind of storm? Uh, it's they were even talking about it could potentially be um like tornadoes, which we don't get. Um, it's just really wet at the moment, but apparently it's it's one of these freaks of nature storm patterns that's happening that's about to descend on Sydney. So we had something like that where I live over the summer, and we had something called a microburst. Yeah, which is where the the cloud just lets out in a very specific pattern all this rain and wind at one time, and it just happens in a couple of minutes, and it flattened trees and ripped off roofs. It was a it was incredible. Go online and look at look up videos from microbursts. Yeah, I'll like check horrifying it horrifying and kind of like fascinating at the same time. I wonder, JM, is it end times? You know what I'm saying? People always say that, and I wonder with the with the with the bad weather, or is it just you know global warming? What is it? What's or, going or, yeah, on? Or is it just nature saying, "Hey, get your stuff together, guys"? Yeah, you know, or 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 this is because it is. We're we're seeing what's happening. It's crazy. every year. It's shifting more and more and more, and we got to do something about it. I know, and you just wonder if we ever will. I, I, I'm sorry to sound pessimistic, but like we've been saying, I've been hearing this since I was a kid in the 80s. You know yep. what I mean? And I don't yep. feel yep. like we've really done anything. Anyway, moving away from uh, the weather. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, JM. Let's, let's move from the end of the world to yeah, something a little more uplifting, right? I, well, I've got a question for you before we even start. Um, we like to ask people questions, and you, this is your third time you're on the show, so you've graduated to this question. Area 51. Did the aliens land? That's the question, J.M., in your opinion. You know, it's a great question. I don't know about Area 51 and that whole story. Mm. You know, you read some things and people are utterly convinced and they claim they have all these witnesses and all that stuff. Area 51 has become such a cliche. Yeah, yeah. That, now, I, I, I believe uh, I believe in UFOs and the whole that whole thing. Mm. But I don't know whether I buy the Area 51 thing. Yeah, you don't think the U.S. government's holding the technology and reverse engineering and all that stuff? You know, it's possible, but then why aren't things better than they are? Yeah, you know, yeah. Going back to what we're saying, if we have all this super-duper technology, then we should be able to deal with global warming and all kinds of other things right now, you know? True. Um, so, That's you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't have the answer, but I'm fascinated by the whole UFO question. I've read so many books on the subject. Have you ever had any... You know, you're widely travelled and know a lot of people. Have you ever, either yourself or known people who've had, like, encounter experiences, that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, if you mean by encounter with, like, an actual alien, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> no, I have seen odd things in the sky. I mean, yeah. years and years ago, I was driving home down a road around here, mm. and I looked up, and there was something in the sky that was moving in a way that a craft in the sky could not possibly like sort of zigzagging and stuff yes. that comes, i mean yeah. like all over it was crazy mm. crazy and all i remember is when i and, and and it's a it's a weird thing i've explored this too because I, I i watched this thing and then i 
it's one of those things where I don't remember driving home that day, honest to God. Yeah. And I remember when I got home, the electricity in my house was like turning on and off for a while. Oh. And I, I always think about like, did something weird happen in between there? You know? Yeah. I've never talked yeah. about this in public before. Yeah, but um, and I also remember being a kid, uh, maybe about 10 or 12, being with my friends. This is growing up in Brooklyn. Mm. And we we're looking out the window. And along came one light in the sky and it stopped. Mm. Along came another light in the sky on the other side of it and it stopped. Along came a third light and the three lights just hovered there wow. in the sky Jeez. for the longest time. And then one by one, off they went. That would, yeah, yeah. okay. That's going to blow your mind as a kid. I don't know what, what these things were that I saw. I don't know if they were anything, <laughs> if they were nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. And it, the more you read about it, the more you know that there's something going on here. 100%. Yeah, Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's, what that something is, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And then it comes into the realm of kind of fantasy blends with whatever it is. You know, then your mind takes over and, you know, That's it's, right. it's that kind That's of right. thing. Well, And speak, then, you know, okay, go ahead. We can move on to other. We could spend the whole time talking no, about UFOs, but let's move on. I was going to segue and just say, speaking of fantasy and speaking of the imagination, you've got... This Kickstarter uh, sequence of books coming out through Spellbound Comics, yes. and I really want to get into what's going on because I know the Kickstarter is going to launch very shortly. Is that correct? Tuesday, October 11th at noon Eastern time. Excellent. Um, yeah. Now, I've got a list here of the comics, but I want to I want to let you kind of like, do you want to give us the pitch? I, there's four of them, yeah? There's four. Okay, so long story short, I have a I have a friend named David Baldy. He's a TV writer and producer with 20 years under his belt. Mm -hmm. We met a couple of years ago. He took one of my writing workshops and we got to know each other and just got to talking. I thought about doing a Kickstarter for quite some time because I'm always looking for new venues for my creator own work. Yep. And uh, and the great thing about Kickstarter is it's one more wall between creator and audience that gets taken away. You know what I mean? It's yeah. much more of we're bringing this to you directly. There's no publisher in the way. There's nothing in the way. But um, it's a lot of work. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what I hear. <laughs> and, yeah. And I don't really have the nervous system to do the whole thing like that. <laughs> and David and I were talking one day, and he said, oh, I'd love to run a Kickstarter for you. I was like, hallelujah, here we go. Yeah, perfect. You know? So we started talking about ideas, and I said, well, I have this idea, and I have this And by the time I got through four ideas, he said, I have a great idea. Let's do all four of them. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing, it's like four pilot episodes for a TV show. It's four new number ones each one in a different style different tone different genre different amazing artists we'll get into the artists yeah, uh, yeah. as we talk mm. and and i thought what a great idea to get all these ideas out at once and then then david began building um uh, this comic book imprint around it you know yep and and suddenly this whole thing exploded and it's just it's really one of the most exciting things I've been involved in in my whole career. It's really, really been fun. It's a lot of work, but it's been great, great fun. I think I, it sounds awesome. I think I read uh, online that you've actually completed the comics. Is that correct? Um, they're, they're, they're about all of them. There's four books. They're probably about 85 or 90% uh, completed. Yeah. Wow. A couple of them are all done. A couple of them are completely done, and the last two are in the coloring lettering stage. Yeah. Right. Because some of these are projects that I, you know, I, I had written before we ever discussed this Kickstarter, yep. you know, that I worked on during the pandemic. And, you know, you're always, as a creator, developing new things and mm. you follow that where it goes. And sometimes that leads you to actually just going ahead just on spec and writing these things. So a couple of them were all written. Right. And, okay. and, 
And so this artists. isn't so this isn't fundraising. This is pre-orders, right? So they they done and all that. People aren't funding it. They actually you're just going to be taking pre-orders and then fulfilling them. We're, what we're hoping when it goes is that out. by the time the Kickstarter Kickstarter is done, yeah. that all these books will be done. Because sure. we're also going to do a collected edition with all four with mm. all four books in it. So it's going to take a little while to get the collected edition together. I'm going to write introductions to all the stories. Tom DeFalco is writing a a, a forward for Ooh. us. You know, we're going to have all kinds of extra art and scripts and things in the back, you know. Sounds great. We've we love, got, we love Tom DeFalco on Seagull, man. He's one of our favorites. So great to hear a, that. He's a, he's, a great, he's a great guy and an old friend. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we have four – we haven't announced them all, but we have four amazing artists doing alternate covers. Mm-hmm. We have Liam Sharp doing the cover for the collected edition. Oh, love uh, Liam Sharp. We have Sharp, just yeah. a lot of great people, a lot of great people involved in this. So this sounds fantastic. So I, I've got the I've got the things here. So the first one I've, that's on the screen here is Layla in the Lands of After. Um, yeah. Can you give us the pitch? Is that is that possible? Sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. This is this is an idea. I've been nursing this one for about twelve years or so. And from the beginning, I was talking to Sean McManus about it. Sean and I worked on Doctor Fate together years ago at DC. One of my favorite oh, collaborators cool. yeah. and one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, runs of anything that I've ever done. Mm. And he's he's just an artist who has gotten better and better and better with the years and he was great to begin with and he's also really perfect when it comes to building fantasy worlds. And he worked, you know, he worked with Neil Gaiman on Sandman. Yeah. He worked with Alan Moore on Swamp Thing and wow. he's just a great guy. And so the premise is, I'll give you the, the short version. Mm. It's 1995, this uh, 13-year-old girl named Layla is biking home from her friend's house. All of a sudden, she's engulfed in light, and she's swept off. Her bike drops away, she's carried away somewhere, she goes unconscious, she wakes up, and she finds herself in like an Oz, a wonderland, a neverland. She thinks she's over the rainbow or through the looking glass, (laughs) except she's incorrect, because the light that engulfed her was the light of a car that ran her down, and Layla is dead, and this is the afterlife. Wow. Except she's third she's just she's like, I'm thirteen years old. I'm too young to die. Yeah. I'm gonna find a way to get back. I love it. So it becomes her journey with 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 uh she encounters her dead cat over there and her dead grandfather and a couple of other interesting characters, including a a, a character I call the not quite fallen angel. And it becomes their journey through the lands of after. Now the lay I say lands plural because my conception of the afterlife is that Everybody gets the afterlife that they project. Yes. It's a place that's composed of, of imagination. So if, if you're like a devout Christian who wants angels and harps and clouds, mm. you'll get that. Right. If you think there's hell and you're guilty, you'll end up in hell. <laughs> if your idea of heaven is playing stickball with your friends when you were 10 years old, you'll get that and everything in between. So the lands of after are infinite. And so they have to journey through these lands and find a way to get Layla back home. That's a really good idea. That's a, that sounds great. So that's the first one, and then I hope so. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm I'm right. impressed, and I and I like the artwork on the cover that I'm seeing with the cat as well. Yeah. It looks really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then I've got um, here any man, uh, any man, yeah. any man. I'm doing with David Baldion, who drew yeah. the Ben Riley Spider-Man miniseries that I did. That just wow, did. that oh, was yeah. a great series. Ago. Yeah, thank you. And David is David's amazing, and as good as his stuff was on Ben Riley, mm. he's like taking it to the next level with this. So any man, any it's a man's su- an superhero one. kind of one. Looking at the cover, it's it's probably the closest to what we would call a traditional superhero story with a twist. Mm-hmm. The big twist, I can't tell you because I want you to get it when you read it. Of course, but yep. so here's the setup, and 
And all these stories, I want to say, they're they're fairly epic. Like even with with Layla, mm. I envision that as a five issue miniseries. But I have in my head two other miniseries that will follow Layla through the rest of her life till she's an old woman. That's great. So man. I want to yeah. follow her entire lifespan as she continually has these adventures in the lands of after at different stages of her life. Now, Any Man takes place over the course of fifty years. Oh. It starts in 1969. We're in Times Square in New York. Mm. This portal opens, and out comes. This being, who's the guy you see on the cover, mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in the images, he he says that he is the survivor of an ancient civilization from millions of years before, one of these perfect idyllic civilizations. Except they were, they were got a little overconfident, little, a little overconfident, too much hubris, <laughs> and they brought the whole thing down. Oh, so he has come now to the late sixties, uh, to what he says is a crisis point for mankind to help us to avoid. The same, the same fate that befell his people. Right. He becomes, he becomes for the next fifty years, the great hero, the international hero, beloved, all over the world, inspiring people all over the world. Cool. That's the story. But what we find out is that entire story is a lie. Wow. And I see on the cover, there's the character, and he's fighting. Look, looks almost like a bizarro image of himself, like a. Okay. Right. That's a character Monsters. that I'm calling Anti Man, uh, and and. Um, you'll find out exactly who he is because he is part of the twist in the tale. Looks cool. Uh, so there's, good there's a whole other story running beneath the story. And when you find out exactly who any man really is, who created him and what's going on here, it kind of takes the whole thing and turns it off in a new direction. And in the course of the miniseries, when we do complete it, we'll be jumping back and forth in time, you know, from the yeah. 60s to now and everything in between. As we move forward, the story that takes place in present day, we'll be jumping back in time for backstory. So with yeah, that sounds fantastic. I love that kind of stuff. So with these, with the Kickstarter, um, obviously you're going to put out the first issues. Is then the plan to continue? Well, here's the here's the really cool part. Mm. We're putting out anyone that buys all four issues or buys the collected the multiverse edition. Mm -hmm. Yep, gets to cast a vote over which of these is the first to go and finish the miniseries. Oh, I see. Right. So if everyone if everyone reads it and you get it, you know, the majority of the votes say, please continue, any man. Then we're going to do another Kickstarter. We're going to finish Any Man. If they all say, hey, we love all four. Could you do another anthology and mm. do chapter two of all four? Mm. We'll do that. But it's up to the readers. So they get they will get to dic- – the supporters of this will get to dictate where we go from here. That's a really good and, idea. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a cool idea. And if, if people are not into Kickstarter, you can actually buy the books at the Spellbound Comics website. So mm. you can go either way. You can support the Kickstarter or buy them directly from Spellbound Comics. Will you, the Kickstarter, that- of course, will have all kinds of rewards in yeah, will you also have like digital as well, or or not? Yeah, we weren't going to, and then we realized, especially for international sales and things, mm-hmm. it's a lot more convenient, you know, as opposed to say you in Australia having to pay all this money in postage. Yeah, it, it's a lot easier for you to get it. Be, digital. Like so, honestly, it is. Thank you for having digital because I'm 100 percent getting it. So I will definitely, definitely back it. And and I think listeners, we have a lot of international listeners from all over Europe, obviously in the states, but uh, Australia. I think these sound fascinating. Um, Godsend, created by Matthew Dow Smith. What's the what's the story with this one? The pitch. So Godsend is another idea that I, this one I, probably probably is the idea I've had the longest. I've been nursing this mm-hmm. on and off since the early two thousands. Um, and, and that's the way these things go. You know, yeah. you work on an idea, you put it away, you pitch it somewhere, they don't get it. You put it away, you take it out, you develop it some more. So I, my one liner on this is uh, mm. kind of Jack Kirby gods meets Philip K. Dick meets the Matrix. Wow! Yes, so, I, I think I know where my vote's going. <laughs> okay, 
<laughs> and I don't know if you if I, I don't know if it's on the website, but if you go to my Twitter feed, we just we just completed the cover for the first issue of Godsend, and Matt did this beautiful kind of Kirby esque, uh, other dimensional, very very cool cover. Um, cool. Oh, is, anyway, that the, so, uh, is that the yellow one? Yeah, where where the guy's on his knees and he's in this weird, lots of Kirby dots floating around. And yes. have you seen that one? Yeah, okay. It's a great cover. I love it. And we did the kind of old-fashioned '60s lettering on the cover. And that sounds cool. So anyway, so our main character is named Eric Small. He's a he's a middle-aged junior high school teacher. He's sort of to me. He's the you know all of us carry around in our heads or our hearts that part of us that doesn't think that we're worthy, that doesn't think we're good enough, right. that thinks that we're small and powerless and ineffectual. You know, I don't care who you are. Sure. You could be the you know the president of the United States. Somewhere, you know, in your in your head is like, oh God, I can't believe I'm president. They're going to find out I'm a fraud tomorrow. I, imposter, you know? imposter syndrome, they call it, yes. don't they? Yes. Yes, exactly. And you know, I always say we all go to bed at night. We're all, you know, there's a little insecure kid living in our head. But we have we have the other out. But I'm just saying that's one aspect. Sure. And Eric is kind of like one of those people that really that one aspect is so defining of his personality. Into his world, into the world, appears this being that the media calls Godsend. This blue skinned. Kirby God kind of figure. No one knows where he came from. No one really knows if he's here to save us or destroy us or what it really is. There's a lot of controversy about that. But Eric becomes obsessed mm. with Godsend. He wow. just, it's like, you, you ever see Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Sure have. You know, mm. Richard Dreyfus when yeah. he becomes obsessed with the UFO and he's making it in mashed potatoes and yeah. giant, <laughs> yeah. gi giant thing in his basement. It's one of my favorite movies of all it's time. It's a great, great movie, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Eric becomes obsessed with it. It's like somehow there's some meaning here. There's something here he needs to get and understand. Mm. And then one day, this seven-foot-tall turtle being with a man's head appears in his <laughs> living room and basically shreds Eric's reality <laughs> To bits, yeah, and everything turns inside out, and I can't say what happens from there. But that's the turning point for the story, and it really, you know, if you read Philip K. Dick or if you read my stuff, you know, I'm obsessed with like, who are we? Yeah, who do we think we are versus who we really are? What what we perceive to be reality versus what reality truly is? And I love stories that flip reality like that because I think our reality is far more fantastic and surreal than we realize, you know? Yeah. And this story really addresses that question through Eric. And then as we'll see, when we get a chance, when you vote and we get oh. a chance to continue the series, oh. that, that we're gonna, I have a whole pantheon of characters for this story. I mean, I have so many characters that will emerge from this one issue as we go forward. And I also see this as probably two or three different five issue miniseries before the entire story is told. Wow, so it's quite an, it's really quite an ambitious plan, which I love ambition and and I mean you've obviously got like a large readership base from all you know all your years of working, so yeah. I'm really hoping that your your I tell you what your followers they they follow you because I've no I've seen the numbers on the episodes we've done and you you're right up there amongst our top shows, you know, like the these these people follow you around and I'm really excited because this sounds like you've just got you've what well, you do you've got complete freedom. Um, you, no one's telling you, you know, what you can and can't do. And it just feels like the, these concepts sound so strong, JM. Like uh, you've been working on them for a long time, I guess, in your head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly have. I certainly have. So we've, we've covered three so far. Yes. And, yes. The, and the, the last, last one, one wisdom. Yeah. the last one, wisdom. The last one is wisdom. It's a it, supernatural Western. Yes. So if you have super, 
Now, if you know Tom Mandrake's work, so I love Tom Mandrake's yeah. work. I mean, the first time I saw his stuff, I think, was on the Spectre, and I just fell in love with his stuff. Mm-hmm. He, and so he does the supernatural like nobody's business, and he also has a history of doing westerns beautifully. Mm. So he was like, who, who else could be perfect for a supernatural western? And this was an idea that came to me about, I don't know, 12 years ago. I was telling somebody about this recently. A lot of times when ideas come to me, they come in the form of mind movies. Yep. And I woke, I woke up one morning, my eyes are closed, I'm laying in bed, and this movie starts playing on the screen of my brain, you know? Mm. And it's like, oh, this is interesting. What's the, oh, look at that, it's a Western. Oh, that, who's that guy? <laughs> what better, oh, oh, look, it's a supernatural Western. Oh, look what's happening. And you gotta run to the computer and yeah. start writing down this thing that's happening in yeah. your head. You know, it's almost like, God, if you could just get a plug and jack that vision in your head yeah. straight into the computer, you know? So that was the beginnings of wisdom. It's sort of um, Deadwood meets Lord of the Rings meets Doctor Strange, you know? Wow. Um, uh, I, my so- vote might change to this one because <laughs> I love this stuff. And I saw a bit of, I think on um, maybe your Facebook, I saw some artwork from this and he really is knocking it out of the park. Oh yeah, we just got the color the color version of the cover yesterday uh, from Chom's wife, who's Jan Drusema, who's a wonderful yeah. artist yeah. in her own right, did yeah. the color on Wisdom, and just the cover is just just it's incredible, it's incredible, and it's another story that has a lot of scope yeah. because while we're telling the tale of what's going on in present day present day to Wisdom, which is the 1860s, yep. we're going all the way back to his childhood. We're seeing the evolution of how this innocent, pampered, rich kid mm. from upstate New York turns into this gunslinger slash sorcerer and everything in between you know it's a it's sort of i don't it's got two 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 things going on in the story one is a very personal story because these dark forces have taken his wife and child Mm -hmm. and and he needs to 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 save them and redeem them at the same time he's sort of like frodo tasked with stopping sauron he's there's the big bad the big evil out there that is so he's got to stop the big thing but he really more important to him, and that may screw up his quest along the way, is he wants to save his wife and child. Wow. So it's a, it's a really, really epic story. And you know what's, what's, what's exciting and frustrating about these first issues is I think all these first issues are really strong. Mm. You'll get a real great flavor for what the stories are, but I know how much more there is to come. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know how yeah. much scope there mm. is in all these stories. So I'm like... You know, when I'm thinking about wisdom, I'm thinking about the 20 things we're going to do from here. When I think about Godsend, I'm thinking about those 20 other characters that I'm waiting to introduce, you know, um, and on and on and on. So it's 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 very it's very exciting. It's really, really fun. Oh, man, it sounds like you, you've been building up to this. I mean, I what I, I love have. about this is, yeah, you've you've had this fantastic career and you're at a point where you can say here here are four projects that are very close to your heart, obviously. And you go straight to the audience, and and I know your audience. It's large and it's very loyal, um, and I'm so excited to see what happens with these JMs. So, wow! So, and then the votes come in. That'll be interesting. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, JM, I must say, I, I I really love the fact that uh, looking on the website that you've uh, given co-creator. Uh, yeah, that's very important. I'm title to to all up. the artists. I thought that here, was because here's thing. how I feel. It's comics, yep. and I don't care how long I'm carrying this idea around in my head. Until that person picks up the pencil and the pen and brings it to visual life, yeah. it's not alive. Yeah. And you know, I've always said you know, I could have the same exact script, word for word, beat for beat, give it to five different artists, you're gonna have five different visions of that story. So I think it's really, really important that the artist be acknowledged as a co-creator 
of this book. I, I agree with you. Books. And, and let's face it, uh, like even in the examples that we've just spoken about, each of those four artists, if you put one of the other ones on the Tom Mandrake uh, one, it's going to be completely different. Yes, yeah, exactly. Tone. Exactly. So it's it, it, it literally, it, I think it makes total sense. And also it incentivizes these people to, you know, because it takes time and all that kind of stuff yeah, to, to do yeah. all this. Like they're all busy professionals, you know, everyone is exactly. busy. So, yeah. And then, you know, and they said also, if anything good happens down the line, if yep. these become big hits and suddenly there's, you know, wisdom, the motion picture, yeah. which is it's not why we're doing this. But no. if, if that happens, yeah. you want everyone to, to, to share in that success. Totally, you know, man. Totally. Yeah, no, you know? I, I hear you. Uh, and well, I mean, so I do want to say, so you said it's going live on Tuesday. Is that right? The Kickstarter? Yeah. Tuesday, noon, uh, New York time. Excellent. Now we've shared the link several times on the Facebook page, but I will obviously share them. I'll have them all in the show notes and all on the Facebook right. we, page. We, we just released the actual Kickstarter link, I think yesterday. So that's yeah. out there now. Perfect. 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 The 11th, right? Say that again. The 11th. It's going live. Yes, thank 11th. you. Yeah, that's the, the October 11th at noon New York time. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and how long um, I, is how long do Kickstarters go? Like for this, is it like a month or how? Do you know? I think it's I think it's a month. I think it's yeah. 30 mm. days. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, excellent. Now, um, so yeah, please back JM's Kickstarter, guys. I mean, it sounds like so much cool stuff is cooking now. Uh, moving uh, to a different topic, Rich, you've got some questions um, about uh, Spider-Man. Before we move on, let me just yes. say one thing. I just, yes. I just have to I have to give props to my partner in this, David Baldy, who put together Spellbound and has been working his ass off on yeah. this. Really, really hard to make this happen. I really, really could not have done it without David. Yeah. And I and I want to. Anytime I'm doing a, a public talk about this, I have to uh, I have to bow before him and say thank you, David. Well, we'll have to say thank you, David, to you. Yeah. And one more thing I just want to say, you know, there's the old cliche, we can't do it without you. When it comes to something like this, I really can't do it without, yeah. you know, the people that really support this work. If they're not there, it's not going to happen. So, you know, if people are, you talk about a loyal audience that's reading, that has read and enjoyed my work, please come along on this journey with us. It really means the world to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I see absolutely no reason not to. Like, I mean, it's it's straight from the... So, signal's course, definitely down. We're down. Uh you know, and um, we're famous for, for backing your stuff, JM, and I'm excited. And um, I know you are. I really appreciate you guys because you're incredibly supportive. Yeah. <laughs> no worries, man. Now, Rich has taken my Spider-Man question segment. Um, you've got a question about Spider-Man, Rich? What's going on? Well, uh, yeah, so we did um, recently on the show, <clears throat> we did the Identity Crisis, um, which was oh, a bit of a mini event um, that you guys did. Um, I think I'm just I left curious, in like, the middle of that event. You did, yeah. you did, yeah. I was going to say that. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you started it, but I was curious as to what was the genesis of the idea. Um, why didn't, if you know why, it didn't go for longer? And did each right to get to create their own alternate identity, or did that was that decided as a group? Oh, I, well, I, that was an idea. Now, again, this is a long time ago, so bear with sure. me. And and I think I'm going to get the essence of the answer right, and details may be completely wrong. <laughs> um, uh, I think that idea had been floating around and proposed several times, and I don't remember who it exactly came from. It may have been, might have been one of the writers, it might have been one of the editors, this idea of Spider-Man taking on these four different identities. Um, and then in terms of of the individual characters, each one of us created our own our own identity for Peter to take. And, and so we each got to kind of cook up something new. That's cool. Uh, like though, I, I, we, we did it on the show 
couple of weeks ago. I'd never read it, and um, I mean, it's fun. Like, it's it's really novel for Spider Man. Like, one of them is like a Superman style Spider Man character. I, right. I think that was the Prodigy. That was the one that I did. He that was, was, was the cool. Yeah. It was he was, good. he yeah. was specifically trying to be like really old fashioned, almost corny superhero. You know. Yeah, almost like real Silver Agey kind of Superman style. Um, which is, by the um, way, if you hear the Twilight Zone theme in the background, that's that's my phone ringing. That's my <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and is there a behind the scenes? Because because I, I think they'd done Spider Hunt just before that, where you were also involved, which I love Spider Hunt. Yeah, that I remember. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great one. And um, you know, it's funny in that period. That's that that that's a little time after the Clone Saga. Yeah, and you kind of had come back, and then you left again. Like. It's funny that right. they, they kept calling you, and was it just was it the same thing as the Clone Saga, where you got tired of doing the sort of part four of the story kind of thing? I'm trying to because you know originally because I had like three different runs. I had yeah. the, my original spectacular Spider-Man run with Sal, yeah, and I thought, okay, I've told this great story, I'm done, and then you kind of oh, I miss Peter. You know, there's yeah. these people they become real people to you, and then they they asked me to come back to do Amazing, and then we went off and did the Clone Saga, and then that reached a certain point where I felt like that just what you said. Here I am every month writing, you know, chapter two of a four-part story, yeah. and it was it was a little frustrating. So I went on my merry way, and then I I missed Peter again, and all the, <laughs> all the guys said, "Oh, come on back, come back, yeah. come back." So I came back for spectacular again, and I'm trying to think. I don't really remember why I left again at that point. I might have felt like just spidied out at that point. Yeah, you know? yeah, I understand. And yet here I am, all these years later, yes. still writing Spider Man. I can't, you know, I. I, I can't get rid of this guy, you know? It, Either well, if, one of them. Yeah. Peter and Ben are like my two best friends. That's the know? thing, man. I think you've just, like, your whole career, like, back from the 80s, like, with Craven's Last Hunt to now, like, he, he, you keep, it's like an old friend you keep revisiting, and I guess each time you bring something a little bit different to the table. That's the whole, as the yeah. years go by. Now It's like last year doing, doing you know, Justice League Infinity at DC. It's like I've got a really long history with, with the Justice League, different incarnations yeah. of the Justice League from the comics to the cartoons. And then, you know, you go away from it for a while. And, you, and when you come back, it's like being reunited with old friends. It really, I haven't mm. seen you in 10 years. What are you up to? What are you doing? You know, let's go <laughs> out to dinner and talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the great thing about those company characters is Spider-Man's not going anywhere. Like when you come back after 10 years, he's there. Same as Justice League. Some of the faces might change, but the basic right. fundamentals, they are. So it is like Superman and Batman will always be there. You know what I mean? And Wonder Woman and Green Lantern and whoever else. But some of the details around that kind of stuff might change. And that must be interesting to come back to and go, oh, wow. Well, look. what's weird with me right now is that what did I, I just wrote the Ben Riley thing and it's mm. set during that era. It's set mm. in the. And now I'm doing this new one, Spider Man The Lost Hunt. Yes. Which and, is also set during that era. So that was my question. So I know Spider Man Lost Hunt's coming out. Is it this year? It's coming out in November. November. Okay, great. So what yeah. can you tell us about this one? Is it a prequel or a sequel to Craven's Last Hunt? Is it's around this time, isn't it? It is a, it is a sequel. Craven is dead and buried. But I'll tell you, so the Ben Riley Spider Man story took place right when Peter yes. and Mary Jane left New York. They went yep. to Portland, she was pregnant, and they went yep. to live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. And in my mind there is a reality somewhere where they did. <laughs> and had the kid and, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. And all that. Well, I guess that's Tom DeFalco's Spider Girl universe, right? Yeah, yeah. That's mm, what it, sure. yeah. Yeah. So, um, and Peter, so this, this is the same time period, but we're with Peter and Mary Jane in Portland. Mary uh -huh. Jane's pregnant. Now, the only, the only story we ever saw about them in Portland was a, one that Fabian did called the, the Last Adventure or something. Was it called The Last Adventure? The Final Adventure. Something like that. Yeah, The Final At Adventure. At the end of which, Peter lost his powers. Yep. 
So we now have a powerless Peter Parker, mm. pregnant Mary Jane, mm. and a shadow of the past come to claim him. And I don't know if you remember, there was a character called Gregor, who was yes. uh, sort of Craven's right hand man. Yes, I do. And yeah. He, Greg Gregor still has not gotten over Craven's death, and so he now has the perfect vulnerable target in a powerless Peter Parker Uh-oh. to first to first drive him mad and then destroy him. Oh, my Lord. But there's another character that comes into this, because I always wondered, this is a character I've been thinking about for a few years. It's a brand new character. What was the transition for Craven? Yeah. You know, he was, he was, his family was exiled from Russia. They lost everything, yep. came to the United States. His father was a broken man. His mother committed suicide. Mm. And where, how did this broken Russian exile turn into Craven the Hunter? The big there's game hunter missing. kind of thing that he there's, was. Yeah. Right. There's a piece missing in there somewhere. So I have cooked up a new character who I don't want to say anything about her, but she is the missing link cool. that fills in that gap. So through her, we get a lot of backstory about Craven that we've never, ever heard before. So oh, even wow. though Craven's not alive, his shadow is over the entire story. This sounds great. And, and is this another yeah. mini series like the Ben Riley one was? Yeah, it'll be five issues. Yeah. Yeah. Five issues. Yeah. Do you think, um, I, I mean, I love that Ben Riley storyline you did recently. Do oh, you I think, had so much fun with it. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a market for that. They could tap you on the shoulder to do another five. Do you think that that's possible at Marvel? Uh, uh, anything's possible. And I, I would write more Ben. Anytime, I you know I I love the I love the character I I hate, I hate to even call them characters because I really think of them as people you know I, I we must have talked with it's like I know I know the insides of their minds I know every corner and crevice of their psyches more than I might know my best friend you know yeah. he, my best friend has things in the corner of his mind that I don't know but mm. I know everything that's going on with Ben and Peter you know speaking of Spider Man and as someone who's written so much Spider Man. In the uh, the live action or the cartoons, what's your favorite like of the you know different movies or cartoons? Do you have a favorite that you go to if of the movies it? for yeah. sure? The second Sam Raimi Spider Man movie, great film. I love that movie. What yeah. a movie! I, I watched it again film. recently for the first time in maybe since it came out, yeah. and it really holds up. It's really really good. And I always thought you know Tobey Maguire in those movies, Steve Steve Ditko could have drawn him. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, Aunt, the, uh, Aunt May, what was her name? Rosemary Harris, is that the name of the actress? Yeah, she was Aunt great. So, yeah, yeah. It was like Aunt May come to life. You know, it every was. once in a while you you hit these things. Like when um, Matt Ryan did Constantine, it's like he walked out of a comic book, you know? Mm. Um, so I love that movie. And there have been a lot of great animated uh, animated versions, but yeah. I think that spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. Yeah. Was, it, was that about 10, it's, 12 years ago? Oh, yeah, and it's such a shame that it only had two seasons because it's such yeah. a good series. And it was really I heating seen, up, you oh, know? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was I just saying it was it. really heating up when, when they decided to cancel it. I was like, man, it was just getting so good, you know? Yes, yes. You know, I, I had seen bits and pieces of it, but recently Netflix here in the States got it, and I watched the whole thing. Mm. So I'm always looking for something to watch while I'm on the treadmill every day, you know? Yeah. So for a while it was like Spider-Man cartoons every day on the treadmill. What an excellent show. Oh, it's a really, great. really excellent show. It's great on Disney Plus. Um, in their Spider-Man segment, they've got pretty much. Oh, they might not have that one, but they've got pretty much all the Spider-Man stuff dating back right back to like Spider-Man's Amazing Friends from the eighties and stuff. Very or awesome. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, like it's it's I, I, it's all there. I, I wrote for I forget. God, you know, there's so many. I wrote for the last one, and I can't even remember the name of it. I know uh, the one. Was it just called Marvel Spider-Man? Yeah, it was. Yes. Yeah, it yeah. Was. I did like I think 
two or three episodes of that one. That was a fun one. A- another really fun one. It was a fun one. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, another fun one was Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, I know Joe Kelly. I don't think I uh, saw that one. Oh, gee, I tell you what, um, you might actually... Is it on Disney Plus? I believe it is, yes. And it is... Oh, okay, it, is it, out. it had like five seasons. Um, you know the writer Joe Kelly? Um, yeah, I know Joe, sure. Yeah, well, he was involved with it. He was one of the writers. His writing team, um, whatever, the Men of Action or whatever they're called. Like, uh-huh. uh, they oh, were, that, oh, they did that show. Oh, great. So yeah. it must be really good. It, it's, 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 it's really... Uh, He's a real wise cracker. You know what I mean? Like he's really funny. Um, also, it breaks the fourth wall. It it's does. A, it's which a I fourth love. wall uh, breaker show. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. It is fun. It's it is like a lot of fun. Now, switching tones from Spider-Man, and uh, you might have noticed I did actually hijack Richard's question there. Um, Doctor Fate. Yes, you absolutely did. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself with Spider-Man. Um, Doctor Fate. Let, I... let your partner talk for God. Oh, he's got questions. Don't worry. Um, Dr. Fate mini that you did with Kick Giffen, I read it this weekend. Oh my Lord, JM, it's, uh, it's an extremely dark story, basically about chaos winning in the dark latter half of the eighties. Uh, it's not even really about good guys and bad guys. Um, I, I was kind of blown away by, by the tone and I found it really interesting that around the time that you were doing this, you were also doing Just League, which is kind of more comedic and lighter. Yeah. Was it yep. fun to sort of switch up styles and kind of paint with a different brush at the same time? Yeah, it's always, you know, I, I also realized, I only re- I realized a while back that, that I was writing Craven's Last Hunt in Justice League at the same time also, wow. you know, which is kind of amazing to me, but it, it kind of keeps keeps me balanced and keeps me sane to be able to jump from tone to tone, kind of like these four books in the, the multiverse, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's tone to tone, style to style, genre to genre. And uh, yeah, that mini, that mini with Keith, that was a good one. And that's what led into the two years of Dr. Fate that I did with Sean McManus. And I'm going to be reading now, that next. I've, I've yeah, got them now all. That one, yeah. that one was really interesting too, mm. because that one became every once in a while, you get an opportunity to sort of throw all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. So that two year run on Dr. Faith I did with Sean was dead serious. Mm. It was also comedic. Mm. It was superhero. It was supernatural. It was spiritual. It was all my obsessions were all all thrown together in that basket for those two years on Dr. Fate. So there's a lot of different tones and styles happening within the same story, you know? That's cool. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was really – it's and every once in a while you get a chance. And, and it, it almost could have been a creator-owned book because I had so much freedom to tell those stories my own way. You know, Karen Berger and Art Young were the editors on that. It was pre-Vertigo, you know? And they kind of let you but go because, like, you, you 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 had yeah. such a head of steam. That's great, though. Like to have that. So I imagine, you know, when you're writing some of the you know company characters, you you have freedom, but only a certain amount. But Doctor Fate, right. like, it's kind of like even his powers. I don't really understand what they even are, but it opens the story up for you, and it felt very much like if I was reading a Vertigo James Mateus book. It it was right. you know right. it was. Do you think that's it's- also the advantage of the more obscure characters? Like when I when yeah. I started at Marvel and I wrote the Defenders, oh. it was loaded with fringe characters oh. because then you can take those fringe characters and make them your own. You know, with our with the the Justice League that Keith and I did, because we had quote B and C level characters, yep. no one's coming into the editor's office going. I can't believe what you did with, you know, fire and ice. They don't care. <laughs> no, exactly. What did you do with Blue Beetle? They don't care. Yeah. You know, exactly. so we got to make them our own. And God bless Danny O'Neill for letting us play with uh, with Batman the way that we did, you know. 
yeah, he gave you Batman when a lot of the other editors were saying, no, you can't have, you know, Superman and stuff. Do you think it's vital for young writers to be adaptable and challenge themselves like you're talking about with the different genres? Sort of test themselves? Yeah. You know, one thing I learned early on is, you know, you're especially on mainstream books, the editor is very valuable. You know, your great editor is always there to bounce ideas around with. They'll come to you and say, why don't you do a story about this? Or you bring them your story and you talk about it and it grows into something else. But, you know, they're they're editing like a slew of books. Yeah. And they got to make sure the trains are running on time. Yeah. And they got to deal with this artist and that letter and that colorist on five, six, seven. In those days, you know, you'd have an editor who had, a, had 10 books up at Marvel, you know, yeah. they were dealing with. So when it comes to challenging yourself, you, th- that's the writer's responsibility. Yeah. That's the artist's responsibility to challenge yourself and say, I want to step now beyond the borders of my comfort zone and do something I haven't done before. Mm. That's what happened to me years ago with Moonshadow, you know, when I, my first creator-owned book, mm. and I stepped outside the confines of the Marvel and DC universe and just wrote my own story and in the process kind of broke through all these but mostly self-imposed barriers I had in my head mm. about what a comic book is or isn't. Sure. And it just helped me grow as a writer. But, you know, no one came to me and said, challenge yourself and go do something unlike anything you've ever done before. No, that was personal. You know? It was a personal thing. It was thing. totally yeah. personal. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's, it's cool. Um, yeah. You know, with Moonshadow, I mean, I'm, I've, I've just picked up a copy and I think the next time we have you on, we'll talk about it. But am I right in saying, uh, is it a, is it a uh, what do you call it, coincidence or were you kind of had a bit of inspiration from the Cat Stevens song? Apologies. That's oh, a silly question. Oh, you know, question. it's so funny when you say that. No, it's not a silly question at all because... You know, if if, you, if you're a member Moonshadow, his mother was like a '60s hippie type. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and you know, and everybody, you know, her name was like Sunflower and all the hippie things. And I'm thinking, what would she name her son? And I literally sat rifling through all my albums, <laughs> looking <laughs> looking for a song, something that would evoke a name. And I and I loved Cat Stevens. Oh, yeah. And I came across Moonshadow, and I said, "That's the name. It's perfect. It's you beautiful. Know? And what a beautiful song as well. Like." Um, you know what I mean? It, it, some of the cats, those Cat Stevens songs from the seventies, I think they're in the all-time greatest songs. Some of those ones, like you know, amazing artist. Um, now, Speeding Bullets. I still think JM. All these years later, it's probably my all-time favorite Elseworlds story. Uh, it's right up there with Chuck Dixon's Pirate Batman story. Uh, can you take us back through the creation and pitching process, and what was and was this your first time working with the wonderful Eduardo Barreto? I think it was. If I'm not mistaken, it was. Mm. Um, you know, it's so funny to go through the pitching process. It was sort of a no-brainer pitching pitching process because look at the, the concept oh, was real simple, right. right? If Elseworlds is the rocket lands someplace else, you know, or whatever it may be. So okay, the rocket lands outside of Gotham. It's found by the Wayne family and. And this super kid from Krypton grows up to be Batman. Oh yeah. You know, it was it was really was a no brainer and it was an easy sell. Yeah. It was an easy sell. But his and artwork, Eduardo, of course, did a beautiful, oh, beautiful job with What that. a gifted they, artist, man. Like I just I, put I, out McFarlane Toys just put out a, a speeding bullets figure. Excellent. Do you get a piece okay. of that? Do you I'm I don't mean to be your accountant, but do you get a piece of that kind no, of stuff? You know, if it's if it's a character that I created, I would. Okay, but didn't but you create him? I didn't. Like, well, that's that's where you get into the dicey areas. Yeah, of, I suppose so. Yeah. It's still Superman and Batman. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah, true. You know what? So, so other other original characters, you get to work out creator deals if it's your character that you created, and then if they make an action figure out of it or whatever, you'll get something for that. 
gotcha. they use it in a movie, you'll get you'll get something for that. Gotcha, gotcha. But I I tell you what, man, I I reread it, um, and and I love that 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 book, and I reread it last night in the lead up for the show, and I'd forgotten just how many cool moments there were, like the bit where Luther is becomes the Joker. I'd forgotten yeah. that, and I was like, this is so crazy. But his artwork as well, it's it's. I I honestly think um, underappreciated in a way, like you know. Yes, the, absolutely yeah. underappreciated. His stuff was really, really elegant. He was an excellent storyteller. You know, the most important thing in comics is can you tell a story? I don't care how beautiful your drawing yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. If you can't tell a story, you don't belong in comics. And sure. we've all seen the guys who can draw really well and can't tell a story. And Barreto could tell a story like nobody's business, and he did a beautiful job with that. He really beautiful. did. Now, I've got a question. Um, he did a fantastic Lois, can I say. I was like, his Lois, so much, like, I, and I, it, it brought me back to the first time I read it, which is when it came out, because all I knew, I, I, I no offence, James, I didn't even know who was writing it. I heard that the Superman crash lands in Gotham, and so Bruce Wayne becomes Superman. And I was, I, I rushed down to the comic book store, <laughs> <laughs> pushing people out of my way. Um, now, when I read it, did DC ever approach you and Eduardo for a continuing story? Because I would have thought that you could do a whole sequence of stuff with with Superman. With that, with that version yeah. of Superman, yeah. yeah. Awesome. No, that never came up. I'll tell you what did come up. Right after we finished that, I pitched them on the opposite. Mm. Oh, yeah. Which was um, Superman, young... I, I, now, I have to remember this correctly. Mm. It was... A Kryptonian craft kidnaps young, was it young Bruce Wayne? Now I don't remember, damn it. Whether it was, it must have been young Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And takes him to Krypton to Love study. It. You know what I mean? Like yeah, 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 yeah. And do they and, get shot? And, 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 and <laughs> no, they don't get shot. <laughs> and, and raises him in this cold, clinical Kryptonian way. Cool. And he rebels against. Um, that's ex- now I'm remembering what it was. He rebels against the Kryptonian power structure and to mock them calls himself the Superman and sets uh. about trying to bring down their society. Wow. I pitched that idea, which I think is a great idea. It's a cool idea, yeah. And they said no. They turned yeah. me down. I don't remember why they turned me down, but they didn't like it. You know, and the thing is, uh, in that period, like sort of mid to late 90s, they, they were going nuts for Elseworlds. Um, so yeah. it's, you know, yeah. they, 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 they greenlit some stories that weren't as strong as that for sure. Like, there was plenty, plenty of Elseworlds. Um, yeah, great stuff. I, I just, I just, I just think that I don't know if they've recently done Speeding Bullets, but that needs to get a re-release. I think you know. If I'd also, I, I, you know, I've said this even to, to, to my my friends in in at Warner Bros. Animation. Oh, yeah. I think it would make a great animated movie. Oh hell yeah! You know, what I'm it, surprised. I mean, it's it's again, it's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you make that movie? Well, they did. Um, I mean, you worked on it, Superman Red Sun, which is another oh, yeah. Elseworlds yeah. Superman. I wrote that one, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. I mean, it, well, I mean, it kind of it kind of paints itself. You can write this one. You're adapting your own work, um, it, and it's a chunky story. Like you could easily get an animated movie out of that issue. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, um, well, maybe Warner Brothers is if you're listening yeah. out there, Warner Brothers. Get I'm get on it. Write it. Get on it. Call JM and let's get it moving now. Speaking of animation, Rich and I have some questions. Uh, Batman: Brave and the Bold. It's a show okay. that we both love, and I I know that you did quite a few episodes actually, seven or eight of them, yeah. Which is impressive. You did a really neat Green Lantern Batman team up. 
um, was one of them. Did you have your free pick of partners for Batman, or was that dictated by the studio? Did they say, yeah, we the, want Hal Jordan The way Batman? that that worked on those shows, because, uh-huh. uh, you, you know, they've got seasons arced out. Yep. So James Tucker, the great James Tucker, who I also worked with on Justice League Infinity, and, and another wonderful writer named Michael Jelinek, they were the guys guiding that show. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and it was James' vision, really, behind that show of that that combination of that sort of 1950s innocence, you know, yeah. and and a modern sensibility. Um, and so they would have the season arced out, and they would come to me and they would give me the basic beats, the basic idea for that. This is what we want to do for this episode. Yep. And we'd sit down, we'd talk about it, we'd bounce it back and forth, and then I'd go off and write it. So they would come to me. It seemed like whenever I pitched who I wanted to do, it never flew. But they, so, that, <laughs> so, but I was, they were great ideas. I didn't care. They came to me yeah. with great stuff, and then it was my job to take that and turn that into a full-fledged story, you know? And, and, and I had f- fun to so keep the tone. Because that, like, that, that show, JM, has such a distinct tone. I always think it's very yeah. Adam West. Uh, kind of yes, style Batman, yes. uh, like was it was, was it was that that must have been a fun challenge, like the, to meet the tone of that show, like it has its own voice as a it writer, has a very specific voice. In fact, you know, James and Michael were the ones that did those two animated movies with Adam West and Burt Ward. You know, oh, James yeah. is a huge, huge fan of the '60s Batman show. Yeah. So that those fingerprints are all over Brave and the Bold, and you know, it wasn't a challenge because once you know the the the, the trick, especially you know whether you're coming on to an established series in comics, but even more so in TV. You know, if, if, a, if a TV series has an established tone, your job, you know, especially as a freelancer, I'm not on staff, I'm just yeah. a freelancer being handed an episode, I have to deliver that tone or they're not gonna, they're not yeah. gonna hire me. It's as simple 100%. as that. You know, so the trick is, and it's, it's a very tricky balance sometimes. Mm. I have to give them what they want. Mm. And at the same time, I have to bring as much of myself to it as possible, as much of my own voice to add to their voice so that there's something unique and something special that I'm bringing to the table along with it. I loved, that might be my favorite animation, a uh, TV animation gig that I've ever had because it was fun. But you know, what's interesting is they kept handing me the darkest episodes that they did. <laughs> I was going to ask you, so one of my, I, I love that show, like, but one of my favorite episodes is Shadow of the Bat, which is a vampire Batman. Now this is, right. It, right. look, it's, it's dark light horror. Uh, I thought it was actually going to end on a multiverse note, kind of saying like Earth 21 is lost to the vampire menace. Um, it's 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 such a good episode, and it's, it is darker than a lot of Bra- Batman: Brave and the Bold. Yes, uh, isn't there a part where like John gets pulled to pieces? Or something yes, crazy yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You he know, gets... and that one compared to a couple of the others, I I did the Doom Patrol one, where the Doom Patrol dies at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm thinking somewhere out there, there's some six year old who is now because to- you know, kid watching the cartoon does not expect the heroes to die at the end. You know? And yeah. then I did the other one with the Red Tornado, where the Red Tornado creates his son. Yes. And and at the end, he basically has to do a mercy killing and unplug his son. <laughs> it's like, holy moly. And, I, and I'm the guy they kept giving these stories to. You know? It's it's great. Like, um, I, I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for, for, for vampire Batman. And I know in the 90s, I want to say it was Doug Munch did a vampire Batman sequence of stories. Again, was that Red Rain? Wasn't it yeah, Red Rain? Yeah, with, uh, yeah. Who was that fantastic artist? Uh, Kelly Jones. 
Kelly Jones. Yeah. yeah, Kelly Jones is great. Oh my. Now God. again, I think that's something that could be prime for um, you know, animated, you know, adaptation. Yes. Oh, I, I would think so. I would think so. Well, I'll tell you when I take over Warner Bros. Animation. Yeah. You give me a call and I'll set all these things <laughs> up. I I do think though that Batman: Brave and the Bold somewhere out there, some little kid was terrified of Batman as the vampire because he looked so evil. Right. Right, 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 yeah. Did you write, when you did the shows like that, did you write the shorts at the beginnings of the episode, or was that yeah? That was all part of that was all part of the script. Yeah. Oh, that's they're they're excellent. Same episode, and that's what was so much fun because you didn't just get to write the main thing. You always had some other characters to pull into the beginning, and but you know between Justice League Unlimited and Brave and the Bold, Mm. I got to write so many DC characters that I hadn't even written Mm. in the comics. So between the comics and animation. I think I've hit probably 90% of the DC universe. You know? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, now, Rich, you've got some questions about the animation stuff? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Jeff, I'm just curious about, like, as you say, like, they come to you and they say, all right, this is, you know, uh, this is the episode, these are the characters. Yeah. I mean, do they give you sort of instructions, like, um, don't write anything you've written in the comics, or is it free yeah, to write, no. you can do an adaptation you know, of what you've done in the comics, or? It's, it's you know, it's, it it's, I'm just working from the basic outline that they give me. And then I just build out from there. And, and, and we're always, you know, it's very animation with TV in general. I've written for live action and animation mm. and film, you know, it's very, very collaborative. You, you know, if you have a big ego and you think you're, I'm going to walk in and here is my vision for this episode. And don't you dare change a word. Then don't work in television. It's collaborative. <laughs> Luckily, especially in the animation stuff, you I'm working with guys who are all great storytellers, you know, Everybody that I've, you know, from Bruce Timm to James Tucker, Michael Jelinek, Jim Creek, all these guys, Alan Burnett, Stan Berkowitz, Dwayne McDuffie, all these guys were, were just terrific. You're not dealing with like some executive who's not a writer who's giving you notes. Yeah. You're dealing mm-hmm. with guys who understand story. So what's what can be more fun than to get on the phone with these guys and bounce a story around for an hour and then go off and write it? Totally. You know? Okay, and uh, I mean, you you talk about the the, the Justice League. Uh, one of my favorite episodes on that, which is one that you did, was the Clash. Um, oh, I love that one. Yeah, oh, like, was God. it how fun was it to to have Soups go up against uh, the Big Red Cheese? Uh, how did you how did you approach that story with the two characters in mind? Because obviously they both kind of have to look strong, <laughs> but obviously you know, Soups is still going to come out on top. That was an episode where you know all of us that do that, and you guys, you know, as fans, you know. We're adults and we want to present an adult face to the world, but inside of us is this crazy little 10 year old that just <laughs> loves this stuff, right? And so, um, Captain Marvel versus Superman, the 10 year old inside me was doing backflips. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, and I, you know, one of, the, one of the tropes of superhero comics that I love, and I've done it a number of times, and it may even show up in one of the four comics that we're going to see in the, the multiverse, is that moment when two superheroes are flying at each other at high speed yeah. and mm. collide in midair and the whole world rumbles, you know? Mm. And I think we, I think I put that moment into, into, uh, into yes. that episode. You know, if there's there, that the, the, the 10 year old in me just had such a great time. And plus, you know, the, the, the whole Billy Batson thing, you know, which Keith and I played with when we did justice league, that he really is just a kid. Yeah. Mm. And, and it's a, it's a great concept for a character, you know, to have mm. this, playing and, and it's a great it's a great stand-in for you know the readers because when we were 10 years old reading that stuff that's what we were we were billy batson projecting ourselves into these characters and he literally is that you know so he's mm-hmm. a great great character and to play those two off against each other and watch luther manipulate them both was mm-hmm. was really it was a fun fun episode and i think we do it on on justice league unlimited give credit where credit's due 
um, they would hand me a story outline. Someone else wrote the story outline and I would write the teleplay. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, I think Dwayne McDuffie did the story outline for that episode. It was either Dwayne or Stan Berkowitz and I wrote the teleplay. Cool. And I mean, let's not forget Captain Marvel Jr., Elvis's favorite hero. Um, the, insp- <laughs> the inspiration for the jumpsuits and the cape. Is that true? That's 100% true. Yeah, that's 100%. I true. never knew that. That's yeah. wild. <laughs> there you go. That's really, really wild. <laughs> we love Elvis here. So that's, you know, I have a lot of useless Elvis facts. <laughs> now, last night. I never knew that. That, that, that. that whole conversation is worth it just for that. Yeah, there, there you go, man. Have you seen the um, Baz Luhrmann movie? The Elvis movie? I haven't. No, I have not seen it. Is it good? It is really good. Yeah, I really, I, I went in, um, Rich saw it before me, and I'm a bit of an Elvis fan, and I was quizzing Rich about it, and then I went and saw it um, with my girlfriend, and we really enjoyed it, actually, to oh, be that's honest. that's great. That's yeah. great. I'll have to check it out. It's good fun. It it's on HBO Max uh, now. It went to streaming uh, if, yeah, about a month ago. Um, oh, excellent. Now, hey, I... Just to, just to nerd out for one second. Yeah, yeah. Talking about what you're watching. Have you guys seen the Werewolf by Night thing yet? Um, I haven't yet, but I'm going to watch it today. I, I saw it's online. Um, yeah, we watched it. I watched it last night with my wife. It was perfect. We made some popcorn and we yeah. watched this one-hour throwback to Universal monster movies. It was one of my absolute favorite things from that Marvel TV has done so far. It was really, really fun. I'm really looking uh, forward I, to I, it. You have to watch it. It's really great. Are you? Do you? Um, oh, we we watched She Hulk. I saw the episode last night with Daredevil. It was pretty good, actually. Um, I like. Which also had yeah. it had my character. The, the remember the, the fabulous Frogman. Oh yes. <laughs> you, right. you, you know what? When I <laughs> saw that, up, they kind of they yeah. mashed up both characters. They called him Leapfrog, but it was Eugene Colorado who was the Frogman. Yes, and and you, you know, know what? So, I thought of that as soon as I saw him, and I was like, I, I, I swear to God, this is JM's like Frogman character that was in Spider-Man and stuff, yeah? And it, it was their own version of it. They really changed his sure, character. Sure, sure, yeah. But, but they, they, as soon as they said, oh, Eugene, oh my God, it's Eugene, you know? <laughs> um, so that was that was really fun, and then, and then I don't want to give it away, but there's another, not one of my characters that I created, but another character that I wrote that shows up in this Werewolf by Night. Yeah, it's really cool. Ah, oh, man, it's 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 great stuff. So, I, I can't wait to watch that one. Now, last night, um, switching gears, I watched Death Again, the DC showcase you uh, wrote. Uh huh. Man, uh-huh. such a haunting episode. Now, I've got a question for you, <clears throat> and I'm putting on my reviewer hat. Is it a metaphor for suicide and mental mental illness? And am I right in saying he was using heroin when he died because his arm was in that sort of yes. torn? Yeah. Wow, that was heavy, was man. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, they kind of, you have to watch carefully to catch the, 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 he's got his needle in all his fixings right there on the table yeah. next to him. Yeah. And, yeah. and his arm's no, got the sort of tourniquet thing that the yes, heroin, exactly. I don't quite understand exactly. what they do, but whatever they do. And, and you know what? I'm watching it and I realized, I was like, oh, how sad he, cause like I know the story of death and I was like, oh, how sad he's dead. And then I was like, hold on a sec. And I went back and freeze framed it <laughs> and I was like, damn JM, you went there. <laughs> yeah, you know that story. I have to say, if I look at everything I've done for animation, that's one of the very, very best projects I've ever been involved in. Uh, Sam Sam Liu is the director, and Sam came up with the basic idea of mm. the story. Then he and I and Jim Krieg, who was the producer, got on the phone and worked this out. And what was so fascinating about the process was, you know, it's about a creative person and the yeah. frustrations in their creative lives. Yeah. So we all sort of poured ourselves because we all have had our own experiences. Yeah. as creative people 
And when you look at that short and you see that kid on the floor, he flashes back to when he's a kid yeah. laying on the floor drawing. Yeah. That was my childhood. Yeah. When you see him getting demeaned by his professor, that was my experience in school growing up. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So we all really poured ourselves into that character. Now, he had a much darker ending sure. than we did, thank God. Sure. We, we came through that stuff. But it's, it's, it's a beautiful story. I think it, it was the first time that the death character has ever been done in any other media. Wow. Um, yeah. And, yeah. You, you, so, and yeah. I hope we did Neil Gaiman proud with that one because I'm very, very proud of that story. I and think you it's did. Like, yeah. It's like a beautiful little half hour Twilight Zone episode. It is. Yeah? And I like how just with like Sandman with Neil, you don't show where she takes them. Perhaps death yeah. doesn't even know. Like it's it's left, you know, kind of they just go into the light, basically into the mystery, as they said. And I liked that because I was like, she really is just kind of like a, you know, sort of like the the driver kind of thing who takes him from one place to another. Yeah. Uh, she yeah. And, and also, I noticed at the end the portrait. Um, it was Jay Lee. Jay Lee. Uh, yeah. Jay Lee. That's yeah. right. That's that was right. really cool. Here's here's okay. You want you want some real super trivia now? Sure. You mentioned that phrase into the mystery. Mm. Um, that was a little homage. I, I wrote five episodes of the live action Superboy series back in the day. I don't, mm. I don't know if you even got that series. In Australia. Uh, I have a question um, where I was going to ask you what was it like, okay. because I watched it and okay. it's a so show just, time seems to forget. Yes, it is. I know it's kind of got lost in the mists of time. And I did an episode uh, called into the mystery where Superboy met death. Right. Wow. And so uh, I, there was a little connector in my head between yeah. that Superboy story and the death short. That's crazy. And it was a different version yeah. of death, I assume. Yeah, like yes, a, yeah. the this Grim is, Reaper I, or I don't something. Think, uh, this is before Neil Gaiman had ever even written Sandman. You know, yeah, this is like yeah. Nineteen ninety or ninety-one. Well, I don't know when did when did Neil start. He might have started in eighty-nine or something. He but might no, have around just, then, but yeah. This was our this was our vision of death. We've seen a lot of different incarnations of death in different media and stories. And yeah, it's a, and also can I say for this death showcase, a fantastic animation style. Like they beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. They went yeah, they nice. did the right thing. Now Rich has got kind of a controversial like a hot question here, Rich, about voice acting. What's going on? Uh no, so I'm just curious. Obviously uh uh Andrea Romano did a fantastic job in pretty much all the shows she worked on to the point yeah. where uh, a lot of the the voice actors is people is what people hear uh, in the in their heads now when they read comics. I'm just curious: is there any character you think that they may be miscast with voice acting in any of the sort of like um, animation shows you worked on? Maybe especially Warner Brothers stuff because you've done a, a fair bit of stuff on that. Any any anyone where you heard a voice and you were like, oh, that's not what I had in my head when I was thinking of the character? No, not in that sense that I think. Oh, that was miscast because. It's amazing the people that show up in those shows. I'm always like amazed and delighted. There was one of the one of the uh, the Justice League Unlimiteds. They had uh, Michael Dorn playing uh, Calabac, Ed That's Asner cool. playing mm. Granny Goodness. That's uh, cool. This this comedian Artie Johnson that I used to see on TV when I was a kid played Vermin Wunderbar. It's like I mean the people that they cast was just incredible. The things that would show up on the actors. And I realize sometimes years later, like I'm a big there's a I don't know if you got, uh, there was a, a sitcom called Scrubs. Uh, oh, yeah. For like yeah, yeah. Years. Zach Braff and, and stuff. Yeah. And, and John C. McGinley, who, who played Dr. Cox on Scrubs, did voices on Justice League Unlimited. And years mm -hmm. later, I went, oh, my God, I wrote for him, and I didn't even realize yeah. it. Uh, he played the Atom, I believe. Ray Palmer. Yeah, yeah. I think and he might Yeah, he might have done something else, too, along the way. So it's like, I think, just sensational, the, some of the voice acting was just incredible. 
and and uh, yeah, so no, I have no complaints. I have no complaints. Yeah, yeah, and then you know you, you get know. into some of these movies when, when in, like Deathstroke. Mm. Oh, now of course I'm drawing a blank. That wonderful actor, the guy from The Shield. Oh, um, Michael Cadis, is it? Or is that how you say yes. his name? Yeah. Chicklis, Chicklis, yeah. Chicklis, yeah, yeah. Great, great actor. Or, One or, of my or, favorite shows, S.H.I.E.L.D., by the way. <laughs> or, or Superman Red Sun and Jason Isaacs playing Superman. Yeah. yeah. Jason Isaacs, man, what an incredible actor that I got to write for Jason Isaacs. <laughs> well, they, they know fantastic. how to cast. They know how to cast over there with their yeah. animation. I, I sometimes think their animation at the moment is there, is much stronger than some of their live action stuff. Like uh, that's just, well, I've always matter. said, you know, I don't know why they don't tap Bruce Tim on the shoulder or James Tucker on the shoulder. or One of these guys and say, make us a live action movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Especially, especially when you see some of the product, like I don't want to get negative, but like it's not always stellar. And sometimes, you know, they take a few chances. Like when they said they were going to do, do you remember when Aquaman was a big hit and they said they were going to do a spinoff of Aquaman the Trench? And I was like, uh-huh. really? Like, <laughs> I don't know, like, is there not? And then they cancelled it. Like, now, um, JM, I can't tell you how much of a fan of Twilight Zone my sister and myself were in the 1980s. We used to watch that religiously. Now, I know you wrote at least one episode. Um, oh, you talking about the, the, the 80s version of the Twilight The 80s Zone. version of Twilight okay. Zone, yeah, because that, that was when my sister and I were, were young, yes. And yeah. um, so, and we loved it. Now, what was your – you wrote the one about the marriage and the – It was called The Girl I Married. That was the fir- my first TV sale was to the Twilight Zone. Really? Now, can you tell us about, like, um, working on that show? Like, it was – you know, do you remember? Oh, yeah. I, I remember because it's my first TV sale. It was like magic. It was incredible. Now, I was, you know, I didn't live in L.A. So mm. for me, trying to break in, in in TV when you have to be in L.A. is a really difficult thing. Yeah. So there's a writer, a wonderful writer named Alan Brennert, mm-hmm. who wrote actually my, my favorite episode of that 80s Twilight Zone. It's called Her Pilgrim Soul, one of the most beautiful stories I've ever seen on television. Remember the one with, with the soul that incarnates in a hologram? Yes, I do. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful story. And yep. Alan's a novelist and he's written comics, you know. Yep. And so I'm sitting there reading, they're bringing the Twilight Zone back. So me growing up, the original Twilight Zone, that was like that, you know, that's still probably my favorite television show of all time, you know. That's great, yeah. I would love to write for the Twilight Zone, but what am I going Alan Brennert is one of the producers. And this is before the internet, before email. Yeah. I forgot how I got an address and I wrote the guy a letter. And he wrote back and he said, pitch us some ideas. And I pitched him some ideas. And mm. then they thought the show was canceled, but then the show came back and they bought one of the ideas. And then I got to write my first script and I flew out there for the filming. Mm. And, you know, I remember standing there on the set and the first time an actor spoke words that I wrote, yeah. I almost cried. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I have to say, working on staff on that show along with Alan was Marty Pasco. Yes. Yeah, and, comic book writer and Marty was was had a writing partner named Rebecca Parr, and they were the ones that actually did the rewrite on my episode, and it was my first script. And I have to be honest, they made it better. Is it, well, yeah. I, I rewatched the episode um, in the lead up to this show. It's it's a it's a little classic, man. Like it, it, it's you know about like the um, basically to to pitch it like it's it's kind of like a old like a middle aged couple who were looking back at how they were in like the late 60s and how they've changed and then the younger versions of them are dating the older versions and it's yeah, it's yeah. cool yeah it, it was a fun it was a fun little idea and my the only bone i have to pick with that episode it's 30 years later so i don't think anyone will be offended sure at the at the end of my original version the older versions and the younger versions kind of left them in a place where they loved and respected each other right 
where the older people respected what they got from their younger selves and the younger selves really respected the hard work that their older selves put in. Now, in the version that aired, they were very dismissive of their younger selves and sort of like, oh, get out of here and leave yeah, us alone. Were, yeah. And that was the only thing that I didn't like. Oh, but, you know. Yeah. But, but they do different. wind up I mean, together at the end. The, 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 the yes, they do. They do. Yeah. They, they, they come back together. And, I mean, to say that the first thing that I ever sold to TV was an episode of The Twilight Zone. Even cool. that, you know, I mean. It was. It's an amazing thing, and I'm. I'm very, very proud of it. And what a great. I. I am grateful to Alan Brennett to this day, and to Marty, uh, God rest his soul, and and his partner. Yeah. Um, that you know, to it was. It was just a great experience. A great experience. Fantastic, and it's such a loss that Marty Pasco passed away a couple of years ago because yeah. um, I yeah. only. I never got a chance to chat with him. I've heard him on interviews on John Suntress's Word Balloon, and a fascinating guy. You know? Yeah, and you know, worked uh, you know up to his neck in comics and up to his neck in TV. Yeah, busy guy. Tons of TV and tons of comics, so he knew a lot about both those worlds. Yeah. Um, now, just just briefly, with a Superboy TV show, I mean, you wrote a few episodes. Now, I, I wrote five episodes. Yeah. I remember it because I remember watching it and thinking we had it on repeats um, in Australia, and I remember thinking this is better than I expected. You know, and I I kind of got hooked. But you are right. It, it is like in a cultural black hole. Like you cannot find it on streaming. It's, you know, what was it like working on the show at the time? It was it, it was fun. Uh, what happened was, you know, I, I had already done my Twilight Zone episode. And yeah. so I and Andy Helfer and Mike Carlin were the liaisons from D.C. Mm. to the show. They were the guys that would like look through the scripts and say, no, we can't. You know, Superboy wouldn't do this or whatever, you know. Mm. And Stan Berkowitz. I also mentioned before from our work in animation together is when I first met Stan, he came on in the third season of that show and really changed it. The first two seasons, it was a much more young skewing show. Yes. And then Stan came in and sort of moved the whole show forward and moved the tone of the show a little bit darker and deeper. Mm. And Stan was looking for, he needed some writers and they recommended me. And so I wrote that episode that we were talking about into the mystery, the one where Superboy meets death mm. Stan really liked that, and he actually invited me to come down. They were filming in Orlando at uh, Universal in Orlando, and so I went down for six weeks to work on staff and help them prepare their fourth season. So I wrote those five episodes, and I worked on staff for a while, got to know Stan. He became a good friend, and that's how kind of both ended up working in animation through that connection. Another wonderful writer named Paul Steubenrau, and it was a great experience, great experience. The other... Uh, the the two other episodes I did, which they were both two parters, that's why I ended up with five episodes. Mm. The one the one that I loved the most, I think, was the two. Have you ever seen the Lex Luthor two parter? Yeah, I think so. I think I saw all. That's of them. the one. Yeah. yeah, it's the one where Superboy, in order to find figure out how to stop Luthor from destroying the world, has to go inside Luthor's memories. Luthor has recorded all his memories on these discs, so Superboy lives out luther's dysfunctional childhood with his abusive family and it's a really powerful story and i'm uh, kind of amazed in retrospect that we even got away with it really great and they also had um and i don't remember this i don't think i saw it but apparently there's an episode where there's an alternate superboy and it's heavily based on the at the very time very young you know new to the scene connor kent with the leather jacket and stuff Oh yeah, I don't, I don't remember that. One. Yeah, no, yeah. I, no, I don't remember it either, and I don't think I ever saw it. But they did do some interesting things on that show, and I wonder why it must be a rights thing that it's just vanished. You know, you can get them. That you know, I think you know, I, um, I think Apple TV. You know, you can download episodes from Apple. Oh really? I think you, if you, if if I, I know that they do DVDs. I think Warner Brothers has a site where you can get all their little obscure things yeah. and get them on DVD. 
Did you and they're out there, but they're not out there on streaming anywhere. Well, that's and what they I'm really thinking, should yeah. be. They should yeah. be. I mean, well, yeah, why not? They should be on HBO Max with all the other DC content. Exactly, exactly. Um, did you ever pitch for Smallville? Because that feels like that would be kind of in your Yeah, no, zone. I never did. I never did. Uh-uh. Yeah, no, interesting because I, I, I mean – we can't go back in time and give you a job in Smallville, uh, JM, but it feels like that, that that had 10 seasons. They had enough time to reach out, I think. Um, now, Rich, you've got a question about Mr. Miracle? Yeah, back to the comics uh, for a bit, JM. Um, okay. So when you were doing the uh, Justice League International stuff with uh, uh, Keith and all that, you also did uh, the first eight issues of Mr. Miracle Volume 2. Yes. Um, this was obviously the Mr. Miracle that was... It's a tie into the the JLA, uh, JLI, Mr. Miracle, and all that, and it's a very you know suburban, <laughs> fish out of water type thing with Big Bad and all that. Um, I actually really loved this series, and I was a bit disappointed that you you left off the eight. Um, but uh, how did you enjoy working on this sort of um, you know slice of American pie, white picket fence sort of superhero yeah, thing? Was, yeah, and, in my in my mind, you know. People talk about JLI as if it was a sitcom, but Mr. Miracle, I really, really approached it as if it was, if Jack Kirby had written a sitcom, you know what yeah. I mean? It's very much so, yes. You know, I, and, and uh, Ian Gibson's art was just beautiful and perfect yes. for that. And and so it was, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I used to watch Bewitched. So here you have, remember Bewitched? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was like, he marries a witch and she's got all these odd relatives that are popping in and out. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're in suburbia trying to live their normal life and like, Oh God, my father's coming to visit. Except his father is hi, father. Oh, yeah, our yeah. Family, our family, dinner, yes. our family doctor's here. It's Doctor Bedlam. You know what I mean? <laughs> my cousins are here. It's the Forever People. You know. So that was the model I had in my head to play with that. This idea of these two people who are the least likely to ever blend in in suburbia, mm. trying desperately to have a quiet suburban life. You know. And it was fun. I don't remember why I left. I think I was doing so many Justice League spinoffs, yeah. and yeah. you know, we were doing Justice League. Justice League Europe, Justice League Quarterly. I did a Martian Manhunter miniseries. I was writing Dr. Fate, which was technically a spinoff also. I mean, it was Martian Manhunter. I had so, for like five years, I'd say 80% of what I was doing was Justice League related. And I think I probably just thought, I got to take a breath here and step away. But it was really fun to do. And I love Kirby above all others in the comic book field. Well, I was going to say, do you wish that you had had been able to spend more time with the fourth world stuff, like um, get a, get get a bit more sort of gigs or, or books that yeah, allow you know, playing that. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and uh, I did a forever uh, forever people miniseries in the eighties mm. as well, which was uh, a really different interpretation of those characters. But here's the truth, and you know, thank God these characters have lived on. And it was great when you <laughs> go back to Justice League Unlimited. I did that episode where they go to Apocalypse. We were talking about with Granny Goodness and yeah. Back and all that. It was really really fun to play with those characters. But nobody can do it the way Kirby did it. <laughs> True. Nobody. Yeah, you know, it's just that man's imagination, that man's genius is just unparalleled. Unparalleled. He he kind of shattered the glass ceiling in a lot of ways. I think, like you know, just yeah, his, I think his shattered ten glass ceilings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a, amazing guy. Um, now I have a, a question. Um, it's not something I've read, but I've seen described. This Doctor Strange interchambella graphic novel. Yes. Uh, very hard to find, can I say, JM, firstly. but It is, I know, and I don't yeah. understand. I thought for sure when the first Doctor Strange movie came out, they would reprint it. Yeah. And I thought, well, when the second Doctor Strange movie comes out, they'll reprint it. And they still haven't reprinted it. It came out like in 1986. Well, I don't understand so, why they're not reprinting it. With all the omnibuses that they do and all the epic collections, they often include 
a graphic novel, um, yes. you know, in them. So now I believe just from reading about it, it's a mixture of text pieces and comic yes. book pages. It, it was it was really a wonderful, challenging piece. I did it with Dan Green. Dan Green is mostly known as an inker, mm-hmm. but Dan is also a wonderful artist, and he fully painted the whole book. Dan and I co-created the story together. Then I wrote the script, and he did the art. It was a very, very close collaboration on that book. And it is. It's almost like a, a picture book. It's yeah. all told through captions. I think there may be five word balloons in the whole story, right. you know? Yeah. And so it's all through narrative with beautiful, big, full, a lot of full page, beautiful painted illustrations. And it's a really, really, it's a story that I'm really, really proud of. And I, I cannot, cert, there are certain things of mine that haven't been reprinted yet. Mm. And I can't figure out why. Like why that isn't yeah. in print? Why have they not collected my two years of spectacular Spider-Man yeah. with Sal Buscema? Things yeah. like that, or yeah. Doctor Fate with Sean McManus. You know? Um, Do you have a contact the, at like Marvel, and you can sometimes put a little feeler out and get an answer back? That kind of thing. Like, oh, I do. Sometimes I'll say, "So what's going on? Are they ever going to collect that?" And then you know the answer is, oh, "I don't know," or whatever. Yeah, you know? Yeah. I don't get it, and I, I just they get around to collecting everything eventually. But I've been waiting a long time for these. So before I get too old, Marvel, let's get those back out. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, I can't believe they haven't put this one in. But your spectacular run, I do not understand why that isn't out in um, – that will come out, though, I think. I, I think that's an omnibus waiting to happen, basically. Yeah, individual issues have been reprinted in various places. Yes. But not that whole run. Yeah. And I, I have editions of, the, of, of, say, The Child Within, the first – Oh that yeah, six, seven issue arc yeah. from Italy, from other countries. I yeah. sitting on my shelf in other languages. Why? Why don't I have one in English? You know, yeah, uh, in Poland last year, put out a spectacular Spider-Man omnibus with the entire run in it. In Poland, really, really. Why, why can't I? You know, so it's like if they can do it, we can't do it it's, here. It's possible now. The, yeah, totally. Now, um, in in your nineties, Doctor Strange run. So, yeah. being being the um, researcher that I am. Uh, okay. I actually went and, and I have the epic collection and I read your run and that um, that came in at a time when the character had been redesigned, uh, the title was in complete and character was in complete state of flux when you came on. I'm imagining you saw that as a real challenge, like you hopped in and, the, and literally you, the basis of your story is he's going back to basics, back to, you know, um, the Himalayas, etc. How was yeah. that to come in at that point? You know, um, on one level, it doesn't matter what's been done before. Yeah. You know, obviously, you have to take it from the place where the previous writer left it and go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very lucky. Mark Buckingham did the art, and it was beautiful. Oh, yeah. Perfect, perfect for Doctor Strange. I love Doctor Strange. He's one of my all-time favorite characters. So that was a lot of fun. But the problem was, by the time I finished the first arc, mm. they announced that the book was canceled. Yeah, that sucks. And then they came, basically came to me, if you look at the last few issues, yeah. they're just tying up loose ends from old stories. Yeah. So yeah. they came to yeah. me and asked me to please tie up these loose ends. So I had to cut, create stories to tie up old stories. Yeah. And so it was a little frustrating. Uh, I like that four-issue arc with Bar- Baron Mordo. I had a lot of fun well, it's, with that. It's fantastic. And, and you know what? Uh, having just read it, that is a fantastic arc. And then you're always like, obviously I knew that it was it was finishing – um, and this is my question. As a professional, okay, you've worked in the industry for decades, so you would have had books that have gone gangbusters, you know, and then you've had stuff yeah. that, that hasn't. Like, sometimes it's the market. How was it writing a book like Doctor Strange then, which obviously was on the bubble of being cancelled? You came in with your own pitch. Do you just punch out your scripts and just hope for the best, or are you, are you 
Are you, do you listen to what you think readers want to hear? Like, how do you, you know, in, no, a, in a situation you know, like that? You listen to the characters and you listen to the story. I yep. can't think about, yep. I'm going to save this book and make it sell, or yeah, yeah, what yeah. if I fail and it gets canceled? My, my whole involvement is with the story and with the characters. Yep. And if you're doing your job right, the characters come alive, the story comes alive, and you follow it where it leads you. And and I, the interesting thing that I've seen because I've done this for so long mm. is that you know you work on a project and you think no one's reading it or no one likes it, mm. and twenty years go by, yeah, and mm. you find out all these people that read it, loved it, understood it, appreciated it, and at the time you thought, oh God, I must have really failed with this one, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I did a Spectre run at DC in the early two thousand. Oh yeah. Uh, with Ryan Sook and then Norm Brayfogle, and I loved working on that book. When that book was coming out, all I ever saw was negative comments because it seemed like there were two groups of people. There were the people that wanted Hal Jordan to be Green Lantern again and didn't want him being that. And then there were people that wanted the good old fashioned Spectre, not this guy who wanted to be redeemed, you know? Oh, like the old classic Spectre from the 60s or whatever he was doing. Yeah. 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 I always say the guy that would turn into a giant cheese grater and grate your face, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah. and, And so all I heard was negative things. And then in the years since, so many people have come up to me and said, I read that run. It meant so much to me. It touched my heart. It made me think whatever. And it's really gratifying as time goes by to see that. Very similar thing with my Captain America run, which oh. when it was coming out, oh. it wasn't that it, people didn't like it, but I don't think, I, I never felt like anyone particularly loved it. And, and then years, you know, the years go by and all of a sudden people are coming, to this day, keep coming up to me to talk about that Captain That's America. That's a great run, JM. Like, I mean, I wasn't around at the time you were doing it. I, I read it in the Epic right. Collection and it, it, it's a really good run. Um, yeah. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, they just they just finally did, they just did an epic collection that just wrapped it up. Yeah. Yeah, I need to check that out because I've read the first one. Um, just just flashing on Doctor Strange for a second. I know a lot of okay. um great writers like Roger Stern, one of my all time favorite writers, and Brian Roger Hay- Stern yeah. is. The, let me just say, Roger Stern is the great underrated writer of all time. I think, especially at Marvel in the eighties. Oh yeah. Every, everything that man touched at Marvel turned to gold. Everything. Yeah, he's fantastic. Everything. Like, uh, what, like, a, what a great writer and a very nice guy. Yeah, I was going to say, I wondered if you had any... Also, his Superman stuff as well. Um, yeah, does he... He doesn't seem to do a lot of interviews and stuff because I would love to get him on the show one time, but um, he seems to have a lower profile than a lot of you guys. Yeah, it seems so. I, I, I ran into him at a convention a few years back. He's doing and, okay? And... He seemed to be doing fine. Oh, that's fine. He, that's all we care he, about. He's just a very, very nice, very, very nice guy. But what? You know, let's think about the '80s. Doctor Strange, the oh. Avengers, Captain America. He was doing the Hulk. His um, Spider Man. What about his Spider Man? Oh, of course. Yeah. How could I forget that? <laughs> his Spider Man is phenomenal. You know, oh, yeah. everything he did was A plus. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You know, I look at my own work and I go, "That was really good. That one, eh, I don't know about that. And that was good, but that one really was not so good." Oh, you're being very Roger modest. Like, you're being very modest, no, but, it, but you, you know, know. I, 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 and especially in, in that period of time, everything Roger touched turned to gold. He's so. Oh good. yeah, no, he's he he was a huge talent. Now the question is, um, I know from what I've read, uh, he rated Doctor Strange as like one of his favorite characters, and same with Brian K. Vaughan. You're saying you really like him. What do you think yes. it is that appeals to it seems writers really seem to like this character is it the freedom or what is it it's two, for me it's two things one is i love all the supernatural characters sure you know uh dc especially has a very deep bench of supernatural characters mm. although when you see this werewolf by night thing you see marvel's really trying to develop that as well yeah um 
And that's why when I got to write Justice League Dark at DC, it was like, I can oh, use yeah. any one of these characters I want. This is fantastic. So the supernatural characters allow you to step into a whole other realm where you get to be psychological and metaphysical and supernatural and deal with big cosmic themes, and it's great. Mm. And then you have Doctor Strange himself. It's the great redemption arc. Yeah. This guy who like has everything, he's arrogant, he loses everything, he gets broken, yeah. and then he has to claw his way back and then he becomes essentially, you know, mankind's protector and redeemer. You know, mm. it's a great, great arc for him as a human being. Mm. Um, so he's an interesting per character on the personal level. And then you get to play in this big cosmic playground with yeah. all these wonderful concepts. You know, where else can you meet somebody who's the embodiment of eternity? You know. Do you think uh, you've got another at some point? Like, obviously, you've got the Kickstarter. Do, do you think I, I, I see you as someone who's got another Doctor Strange story in him? You know, if if they came knocking on my door, I would write Doctor Strange again in a heartbeat. Having just read your run, I which by the way, the artwork is fantastic on that run as well. Can I just say that? Like, yes, oh yeah, it's great. It, it's funny, isn't it, JM? You know, do you remember there was that period of time where it was like really fashionable to hate on the nineties? But I'm like, in the nineties, like some of the comics I read are still some of my favorite all time comics. So even if there was a lot of kind of trash out there there was a lot of solid stuff like that that's in the middle of the 90s and it's as solid as hell you know yeah you know i think one of the issues in the 90s was when the market boomed yeah the market boomed and these comics were selling you know they, they couldn't put the print them fast enough to sell them yeah and they and and so it's a business so the business people say expand yeah and put out more work and put out more work and i have had editors say to me back to the, that I have to call people up and offer them work, people that I would not have offered work to two months ago because we have nobody, Could because we're putting out yeah. so much material yeah. that we have to reach out to people that maybe aren't ready yet. Yeah. And I think that might have been one of the problems in the 90s, that there were some people that were doing comics that weren't ready yet. But here's the other great thing about it, and, and I see it with artists and I see it with writers. Follow somebody from their early stories, and you can really see it with artists because it's so visual. Mm. You look at this stuff, and you oh, this guy... Wow, he has a lot to learn. Mm. And he's on this book, and you look, it's three months later. Wow, he's really gotten good. Yeah. It's six months later. It's a year later, and he's like your favorite artist, you know? Yeah. You yeah. never know who's going to be the guy who's going to turn around. I look at my own early work, and I think, this guy, he's, how is he going to turn into anything good? You know? <laughs> um, and, and, and you grow, and you challenge yourself, as we were talking about before, and you mm. work with good editors mm. who, who, you know, and I, I, I was so lucky. I got to work especially in the beginning. Well, I've always, even to this day, uh, Danny Chasm that I'm working with on Ben Riley and Lost Hunt, such a great editor, you know? Uh, but starting out working with Paul Levitz, mm. Len Wein, mm. Jack Harris, Jim Shooter, Mark Gruenwald, Tom DeFalco, all yeah. these guys, yeah. you know, and we learned from each other. They taught me, and I hopefully, in some ways, I taught them too through my own perspective on story. Yeah, man, yeah. And, 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 you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to have worked with people that were so skilled and knew their business, you know? And, and, and so, you know, when you see that guy, when you read that comic and you go, oh, this really sucks, or that artist is terrible, come back in six months and see where they are and you may be surprised. 100%. Yeah. Well, God, I remember, go read the early issues of Daredevil that Frank Miller did and then come back three months later and right. you're just right. like, it, the, the transformation, it, you saw it happening month to month. You know what I mean? You know, in, in just an accelerated learning way. Now, Rich, you've got a question about Metal Men. I know one of your favorites. 
Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm a, I'm a little bit of annoyed that this oh. wasn't a series. Oh dear, <laughs> I am too. I am. So because you, uh, you, Keith, and Kevin actually reunited for I believe it was a Doom Patrol backup. Yes, I think story we featuring like the Metal Men, which by the way 10 was or twelve pages a month. Yeah. Yeah, which was hilarious. I thought it was the most fun I've ever had reading uh, the the Metal Men. Um, uh, how fun was it reuniting with those guys? Uh, how'd you come up with the story, and why did it not become a series? That's that's, that's a great question. You know, the, 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 one of those things that I do with Keith and Kevin very often start in a simple way. Keith calls me up and goes, "Hey, you want to do Metal Men?" <laughs> <laughs> and if it's and if it's Keith Giffen call me up, the answer is always yes. I always say, if Keith called me up and said, "Let's do Millie the Model," <laughs> I'll go do Millie the Model. And if Kevin's drawing it, all the better, you know. Yeah. So. What was interesting was I didn't have much of a history with metal men. I didn't know them mm. intimately and well. So I was sort of my job, you know, in that partnership is really figuring out these personalities. And 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 I did. And when I did, I fell in love with those characters. And I realized, oh, my God, this is the perfect vehicle for what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, I could have done metal men for five years, just like we did Justice League for five years. Yeah. And and what happened was, I guess they. DC had introduced backups in a lot of series and yeah. a lot of, uh, and then I guess they decided that the experiment didn't work and they pulled the plug. And I was very uh, disappointed. But that's you know again that's life when you're a freelancer. That's not your decision. Yeah. Sure. So there you are. You're in love with these characters. You're working. I'm working with Keith and Kevin. I'm happy as a clam. I love the book. Mm. And they take it away and there's nothing I can do about it. And they're not villains for doing it. You know, it's their job. They have to make these business decisions. But I, I guess I'm also annoyed that it's just because I mean I mean. That trio of names alone should warrant its own book from the start and not a backup. You would think. You would think. <laughs> you know, and, and because, uh, let's be honest, there's a lot of people might not be buying the Doom Patrol and so they miss this. And, and you're right, this th that was fantastic because those characters are literally a perfect vehicle for um, your, your style of, of writing and storytelling um, uh, when you work together with those. It was just, uh, it was just so perfect that I'm just, I'm shocked it wasn't, pitched as a series yeah I, I i i feel the same way i loved it i loved it and i loved figuring out who they were and how they played off each other and it was just it was just really really fun that sounds cool i, I should check that out because i must admit i i have am i right in saying i think bob Kaniger created the metal man i think i, I believe so i would, believe so, did you yeah. ever have like i know his career would have been ending around the same time you started did you ever have any interaction with him yeah, I never, never met him. Never oh, that's a shame, man. Because he, he is like, he sounds like such a personality and a force of nature. And 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 I mean, he's long dead. Uh, he had quite the reputation as well, RJM. You know, he had. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting, yeah. interesting guy, though. Would you say, like, and with a great career, like, um, if only oh, yeah. the walls, could, if oh, only yeah. the walls could talk. You know, I'd love to get the behind the scenes story kind of thing. All those superhero books and all the war books that he did. And, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, amazing stuff, amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, now, taking it back to the early days, um, you actually did. I, I want to say either very early in your career, uh, the backups of things like uh, Hawkman backups in World's Finest and all that. Like, and these were the same sort of backups that you're talking about with Metal Men. Was that a great training ground for a young writer? Um, doing Fantastic those. Fantastic training ground. I how I really started in this business, even before I got to Hawkman or eight page Batman stories, mm. was those those famous anthology comics, Weird War Tales, House of Mystery, House of Secrets. That's where they broke in new writers. Yep. So you'd be handed a story that might have been anywhere from five to eight pages. 
Well, that's a real challenge. Come up with a good story with a strong character arc, beginning, middle, and end, with mm. some emotion and some a action and some movement and a twist ending, and do it in five pages. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think it's a, it's a lost art. It's a great way to learn. It's, it is a lost art. It is, you're absolutely and, correct. And I, and I think it's like with novelists. They say start – I mean, I, I remember my writing classes. Start writing short stories because you'll have a beginning, a middle, and you'll end it. And just learning the format – I think builds a lot of confidence, you know? You're absolutely right. And also, you know, you, I look at, back at some of those five or eight page stories. There are ideas in there that you could build a novel around 100%. out of those five or eight pages, yeah. you know? 100%. But it was great to learn. And, and, and I've told this story before, maybe not to you guys. When I started, Paul Levitz was the first editor that bought my work. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a list of rules for those books. And yeah. one of the rules was no more than 5.5 panels per page. Mm hmm no more than 35 words per panel. Right. Now, forget, I have to tell this story in eight pages. Now I am being limited in how many words I can fit in each panel. And I would sit there, honest to God, and count every word <laughs> in every panel on every page to make sure that I, I only, you know, that it all averaged out to about 35 words a panel and averaged out those panels so it's not more than five and a half panels a panel. But what it, it's like having to write a haiku. Yeah. You're giving these very strict limits, and it's the best way to learn. I totally agree. And I, I, I still think, I know these days they view it 100%, you know, commercial, corporate style, but that training ground for writers, I think so many of the great writers like yourselves and, and others that come out, came out of the very late 70s into the 80s, cutting your teeth on those kind of anthology comics was such a, was such a, was such a great thing. Now, I have a question. I'm a big Batman guy. A huge Batman fan, and I read um, and tracked down your Batman Absolution graphic novel. Um, now, this is a really, really interesting storyline. I think you wrote around 2002, three. Um, Somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah, it's about a bombing um, at Wayne Industries, and then kind of like Batman's uh, sort of obsession in tracking down the, the underground lady responsible. Um, was this in some ways your creative reaction to 9-11, which came, you know, obviously on the heels of? You know, it wasn't because I had that idea before then. Really? Okay. The, the, the germ of that idea was, what if a terrorist turned out to be a saint? Yeah. Because right? he, he spends a decade, I think, tracking yes. this woman down. And by the time he finds her, she set herself up. She's like Mother Teresa. Uh -huh. And the question is, is this just a front and a fraud? Or has she somehow sought redemption and changed herself and changed her life? Mm. So that was the germ of the idea. Um, and what was, was nice about that one, it was completely like a real world story. There's no supervillains. It's just Batman in the real world. And you know, I, I'm a great fan of India, Indian culture, Indian yep. spirituality. I've been there many times. So to, set, to take Batman and drop him down in India was really, really fun for me and interesting for me. And so uh, that's, yeah. that's one of those books that most people don't even know it even exists. Well, I, I yeah. found out. Well, you know what? It's highly regarded, though. It was on some lists of greatest Batman stories. And really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It, it was on one of those lists that they pump out, and and I'd never heard of it. And when I read it, I was like, and I've got to shout out the painted style of artwork. It really is. It very feels very real world, very photographic. Yes. Almost yes. likenesses of the portraits of the faces and Brian stuff. Ashmore, I think, was his name. Brian Ashmore, if I'm not mistaken. I've got a question for you. With the story, you leave it kind of open. Was she redeemed or not? In your head, was it all a front or was it, you know, was she in genuine? My, yeah. 
I'd like to leave that up to the to the no, readers no. to decide. But if you are, I'm happy to, from my perspective. Sure. Yes. Uh, she she was genuine in what she was doing. Okay. Doesn't mean she didn't still carry the responsibility for what she did. Oh no, she killed people. And, and Batman you know, is very yeah. much like she's guilty. There is no redemption. Except if you yeah. if you but but there's a gap between Batman's words and actions. Yeah. Because if you look at the very end of the story, and I think a lot of people miss this, the last scene, he goes to her grave and leaves a rose on her grave. Yep. So he's saying no redemption, but his actions are saying other. Because Batman himself is hoping. There's a sequence in there where he he's wondering, you know, when did the man and the mask, when yeah. did they merge and become one? The mask is supposed to be just that, a mask, mm. something I put on for the world to scare people. Mm. But I'm not that mask. And he's realizing that he's become the mask. And it's the same thing with her. Who's the mask and who's real? So with that last scene at the end when he puts the flower on her grave is for him to say, well, maybe, just maybe. Pretty pretty cool, yeah. man. And, and a pretty sensitive topic coming out at that time too. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you catch any heat uh, from it at the time? Like, because it was such no, a... No, not at all. Yeah. Not yeah. at all. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I just I just wondered because um, obviously, you know, such a tragic time period, but oh my God. Um, now, <laughs> this is actually where we're wrapping up and we had a... <laughs> Uh, a thing on Wikipedia, um, I found something on Wikipedia that says you ended your career as a music critic because of backlash from a Grateful Dead album review. Now, now, in all fairness, J-Hip, I am a fan of Jerry and the Dead. Um, what was the album and how bad was the backlash? Like, what happened? I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you exactly what it was. Backlash is probably the wrong word. Uh, it's, that's a very dramatic word. So, you know, I was a musician for years. I played in bands and, and, and I still, you know, play and write songs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and since I'm a writer, I transitioned into, into writing about music. Sure. And, um, and so I, I wrote for a lot of different papers and finally sent some samples to Rolling Stone and started to get some, some assignments from Rolling Stone that's to review cool. albums, yeah. Yeah, which was very cool. So I was a much younger man then, and I think much more immature in many ways. <laughs> so I had a lot of friends that were really into the dead. I actually, I liked the dead. I didn't love the dead, but I, yeah. I liked the dead. I yeah. enjoyed the dead. You know, yeah. Working Man's Dead, great album. Oh, you yeah. know, um, a bunch of good, good, good albums. What was the one? American Beauty. Great oh, album. yeah, with Ripple, uh, man. Ripple. Yeah. Terrapin Station. I remember really liking that album, too. Yeah. Um, and in fact, my ex-wife was was a total deadhead. She used to travel around before I met her. That's cool. Follow the dead from city to city, you know. That's cool. Um, but you know, the deadhead culture is sort of like comic book culture times ten. Yep. It's like so passionate and crazy. So I never really had a problem with the dead, but I think I had a problem with that whole deadhead culture, sure. which I look at it now and I'm thinking, why? What the hell is it any of your business? You know what well, I mean? Well, I mean, like, you know what? That... One thing I'll say is they love Jerry and the Dead, and you know they lived and breathed it. And I know there was a whole subculture around it, like an and a grimier side. But God bless them. But you so, know? but so what? Exactly. God bless them. Yeah. They're enthusiastic. They love something. But I, you know, my little cynical side was yeah, out. sure. Fair so I, they they gave me a Grateful Dead album called "Go to Heaven." It's where they're all like dressed in these like John Travolta yeah, white. It's kind of funny. Cover. The album cover's hilarious. Actually, yeah, it's a it's a very slick album as Grateful Dead albums go. You yeah, know? yeah. And I have to say, I was not kind. No, I you, wasn't. And no. it was it was like you know it just wasn't. It didn't come from a good place, that review. It really didn't. And sure. I look I look to my younger self now and I say, shame, shame. But you know, know what? And we were all in our 20s and edgy and sarcastic once. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know, I know. And 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 
And I'm still an opinionated ass in my private life. But I've learned, <laughs> I love you know, it. everybody everybody that's working, whether it's music or film or comics, every this, the, the story that you hate the most, the movie that you think is terrible, somebody sweated blood to get that thing made. Sure. So I try not to, and I, maybe I don't always succeed, I try not to criticize anybody's work in a public forum. Because sure. as a creator, I don't want to see people doing that to me either, you know? So here's the end of the story. So I get this envelope one day from Rolling Stone. And I open it up, and it's the letters that they've gotten in response to my review. Yeah, I, I might have a I might have a scan of that review. I'll email it to you if I can. <laughs> I'd find love it. to say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my God, it's like if it's like I wrote an article in a bit. And you have to realize this is Rolling Stone. It yeah. was a big magazine yeah, at that huge, time. Huge, huge you know, deal to you, get. You, yeah. you sit you sit in your living room and you're an opinionated ass. You're just in your living room. But you put it in print in Rolling Stone and people, just like when I read a review and someone's tearing apart something I love, I'm really reacting. No, you can't say that about, you know, that I love that. Yeah. You know? yeah. So a stack of letters. Mm. It's as if I'd written something about your mother yeah. and put it in, you know, Time magazine. They, it wasn't that they were angry. It was more like they were wounded. Yeah, disappointed like and sad. Yeah. They were sad. Well, they love Jerry. They love Jerry and they love the dead and he was still alive. So for them, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, bang. And, and, and honestly, it kind of broke my heart. And I kind of went, oh, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I don't want to be the guy that's out there criticizing other people and making people feel bad. Yeah. I want to be the guy that's creating work. And is being criticized. Yeah, no, I I'll hear. take that yeah. side of things. Yeah, and I never, I never wrote another review after that. I stopped cold turkey right then. Wow, way. Gee, well, you know what? Like that was a very slick period in the Dead's history. That was around Shakedown Street and stuff. They were going for a different sound. And hey, you know, like you know, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a remarkable story. Um, I will say, I hope you weren't too harsh on Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan during your reviewing days. <laughs> No, why would I be? Yeah, actually, yeah. one of my favorite Dylan. Before I have to go, but one of my favorite yeah. Dylan albums is is in, I like the odd Dylan albums. I love Nashville Skyline, yeah. and I love that duet with Johnny Cash that kicks off oh, that album. Oh, Girl, Girl from the North Country. North Country. Oh God, yeah. I just yeah. I was just listening to it the other day for the first time in a long time. Beautiful, it's phenomenal, beautiful, just phenomenal. Um, yeah, no, it's beautiful. Now, look, um, last question. Uh, this is a question from my girlfriend actually, who is not a comics <laughs> fan, not really a reader. But I told her some of the stuff that we'd mentioned in our conversation, and she said, God, he sounds like such an interesting guy. And you've got to understand, this is not a, someone who reads comics. And she said, ask, okay. ask him why he, he wrote comics instead of novels, because he seems to be so deep and he has all these you know, big ideas and stuff. And I said, you know what, good question. Um, what was the decision for you not to be a novelist at some point? Was it just that you're so busy or what? Well, here's the thing. I never, I never saw myself as a comic book writer. I'm a writer, yeah. period. Yeah. yeah. I was a journalist. I was a music reviewer. I got, I love comics, so I got into comics. Through comics, I've written for film. Yeah. I've written for television. I have written novels, and I'm glad you brought this up because back in June, I just put out a novella. Oh, there we go. <laughs> it's a perfect, perfect place to insert plug here. Um, it's called the Excavator. It's a piece of work that I'm very, very proud of. It was through a. Uh, a company called Neotex. They have a great website called neotexcorp.com with all kinds of new fiction and nonfiction. But you can at Amazon.com they have it as an ebook and as a physical book. Okay. Uh, it's a story. It's a supernatural thriller, very much in the Twilight Zone mode. Cool. And it's a story that I'm very very proud of. It's called The Excavator. So if you like and enjoy my work, go look for it. 
So the, yeah. the answer to your question is, no, I have done all You've those done things. You've done it. So I can tell and my girlfriend, who doesn't really know anything about comics or who you are right. or anything, but I'll let her know that he has read it. Let her go read The Excavator. And, you know, I wrote, a, I wrote a novel for younger, fantasy novel for younger readers called Imagine Alice that came out about 10 years ago. Okay. I'm working on another novella right now as we speak. There we go. So, uh, so yeah. So you've answered it's, the question. It's all out there. All right. Good. Well, look, um, I want to say from the bottom of our hearts, JM, firstly, Best of luck and good luck on the Kickstarter stuff. Yes, let's end with the big plug for the Kickstarter. Please. October 11th at noon Eastern Eastern New York time. Uh, please support us because if, if you're a fan of my work, this is like this is like a dream come true, this project. And we really, really need you to, 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 to make it happen. So thank you to, in, in advance to everybody who's going to come along on this journey with us. Man, we and are go there check for out you. SpellboundComics.com. You can get all the information you want. The Kickstarter link is live. It's up there right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm out of hype. I no, no it's, look, don't worry. <laughs> I'll, I'll carry the bag uh, for the next few weeks on, on the show and keep reminding people about it. Uh, JM, I want to say thank you so much for your time. It's a genuine pleasure. You're always welcome back on Signal whenever you want to come back. We never run out of questions on Signal. Um, no, thanks so much, never man. I do, and I appreciate it. It's great to talk to you both. Fantastic, man. Cheers, man. Take care.